Hallelujah. Remain standing with me all across this place. Come on, let's lift up a shout of praise unto the Lord this morning. Come on, lift your voice. Hallelujah, Lord, we praise you. God, we bless you. Lord, we declare this is our story. This is our song. We will praise you, Lord, all the day long because you've given us so much to praise you about. Lord, you're worthy. Lord, you're glorious. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord. We'll get into the Word here in just a minute. We had prayer yesterday morning, uh, Saturday morning, as we normally do at the property. And I just want to tell you, we were, we were praying for the property, praying for the building, the building project. And, and as I was praying, I just had just this overwhelming sense uh, of the presence of the Lord that, that thousands upon thousands of people will be at that site, will be at that place, have an opportunity to encounter the presence of the Holy Spirit, to come in with whatever things might be holding them back. They might be carrying weights. They might be bound. They might be addictions. They might be things that they've dealt with. There might be scars uh, from old wounds that they've carried for a long time, but they'll set foot on that property. They'll step into that building. They'll feel the presence of the Lord. They'll hear the Word of God declared with boldness and they'll be set free and lives will be changed and transformed. And I just, I just about got overwhelmed standing on the property yesterday. So I say that to tell you, we have prayer all the time. You be here for prayer uh, Monday through Friday here at the church. Saturday morning, join us. We're still out at the property at least one more Saturday uh, as the weather starts getting a little colder, which it's going to do. Um, Nothing we can do about it, but as it gets a little bit colder, we'll move it back on Saturday morning back here. But until we do, join us out there at 7 o'clock Saturday morning on the property as we pray, as we watch what God is doing. That's another thing, and I wasn't going to do this, but I won't keep you standing too long. But that's another thing. I, I prayed. I said, Lord, we are seeing not just the, what we used to see in our, in our mind's eye in the spirit of this building. We are actually seeing it step by step, brick by brick, if you will, layer by layer, being built and fulfilled right before our eyes. And what a blessing that is. Amen? Amen. So it's good to see each one of you here this morning. Take your Bibles. Turn to the Gospel of John. Amen. We had a powerful first service. Believe in God for the same in this service. Let me get all my stuff spread out here. You know, I remember the days when we didn't have electronic devices to preach from, iPads or that. We had notes and notebooks and pieces of paper. And if you got, if you got excited, sometimes your notes would go scattered and you just have to depend on the Holy Spirit to just finish preaching because you don't want to take the time to, you know, bend down and pick up all your paper and figure out where you were supposed to be. But now we have uh, all this uh, electronic stuff that we want to take advantage of the technology. But John chapter 9, verse 4, we'll read one verse and then pray again over his word. John chapter 9, verse 4, this is Jesus speaking. He says, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word this morning, God. I thank you for the opportunity and the privilege that I have to stand before your people and to declare the word that you've given me this day. Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would anoint your word, anoint our hearts, anoint our spirits, Lord, to receive from you. And we give you praise, Lord, in your name. Amen. You may be seated all across this place. Uh, as I opened my Bible uh, this morning, I was using as a bookmark uh, a, a handkerchief, and this is a very special handkerchief. I'll tell you the story real quick. Uh, when we were pastoring in Arizona, uh, oh, and we do have notes. That is, I, I stepped out of my comfort zone. For those of you that have been here when I've preached before, I've never preached with notes. I've never given you guys notes. And I, I felt like the Holy Spirit said last night, make notes. Now, I will tell you a couple things. Uh, they're not as detailed as Pastor Daniel's novels normally are. 
Also, you won't get the fill-ins up on the screen because I forgot to give them to the media department. I forgot to give them the answers. So you're going to have to pay attention if you want to fill in the notes. And you won't be able to, uh, to, to go on the app and email them to you with them all filled in because, again, I didn't, I've never done notes before like that. So I didn't do it all the way. But hopefully they'll help you out. You'll be able to take some notes uh, on what uh, the Holy Spirit speaks to you. Back to this. Uh, this is a handkerchief. We had a young lady in our church in Arizona. Uh, she was from California. And she was attending Northern Arizona University, became a part of our church there in Flagstaff, felt a call of God on her life uh, to, give her, to give two years of her life as a missionary to the nation of Indonesia. Uh, now she's, she's from California, and she looks like it. Blonde hair, blue eyes, skinny, uh, you know, striking features, uh, and, and her name's Lauren Dijon Batista. And so she went, answering that call, she went to the nation of Indonesia and gave the first two years there uh, working on the college campuses. Here it's called Chi Alpha. There it's called something different. I can't remember what it's called, but it's an opportunity. Uh, it's an opportunity to be on the college campuses and universities in in Indonesia uh, and and get to spread the gospel through making relationships, building relationships, actually even helping people learn English, that type of thing. And she came back uh, home uh, from her her time there, and she brought me a handkerchief. And she said, Pastor, I'm bringing this handkerchief to you because every pastor in Indonesia has a handkerchief. They preach with a handkerchief, usually because it's hot, so they're wiping the sweat. But sometimes it's to get a little point across or get a little excited and get a little anointed by the Holy Spirit. And I held on to this because it meant so much to me uh, that she would, and she said, this is from Indonesia. She said, I got it. Uh, uh, in Indonesia. And the awesome thing about it is God so impacted the nation of Indonesia and Lauren's life that after her two years was up, she said, I'm going back. And she went back and she's now still serving in the nation of Indonesia, a very Islamic nation. Uh, but still, she's been seeing hearts and lives, especially of young, young ladies on the college campus, being touched by the power of the gospel. So maybe you want to add to your prayer list, I won't try to spell her last name, uh, but it's Lauren D. John Batisha, missionary to Indonesia. Uh, but uh, I just wanted to share that with you because this means a, a whole lot uh, to me. Amen. All right, well, today uh, is the day before a, a recognized holiday. Tomorrow is, for most Americans, a recognized holiday known as Labor Day. It's a holiday that's set aside that was created in order to honor all those that labor, that work, that work, the workforce of our nation. Now, I kind of find it kind of funny that on Labor Day, we don't work. We get a break from labor in a way to honor all those that have worked. Uh, and, and I actually had one person say, you know, Labor Day, is that, is that for all the women, all the moms? And so, no, it's not that kind. That's not what it means. Although every, every mom in the place will say, you don't know any kind of labor till you've gone through that kind of labor. And all the guys would be smart to say, you're right, I've never experienced anything like that, and don't ever plan to. But tomorrow, tomorrow is a holiday. Uh, tomorrow is a day that, that for most, maybe some will be working. Uh, I said in the first service, you know, some of us will, might be upset if on our day off tomorrow we go to the local Starbucks or, or uh, Awakening or drive through place and nobody's there to service our coffee because they're off work because it's Labor Day. Uh, we might be upset if we can't go through the drive-thru or the gas station or the grocery store. So there are people that will be working tomorrow so that those of, uh, of us that aren't will be able to in, enjoy our day tomorrow. But as I was thinking about Labor Day, I wanted to ask you a couple of questions before we kind of get into the notes and the crux of the message this morning. The first one is, and you don't, the first, first service, people raise their hand. You can raise your hand if you want to. You don't have to. Do you really like your job? Some people raise their hand. All right. How many of you look forward to going back to work on Monday mornings because you really missed getting to see your boss? 
See, same thing happened first service. Had lots of people say they liked their job, but when it came to that, not too many people raised their hands. How many of you miss your fellow workers so much that you can hardly wait to get back and see them and see how they're doing? Now, if you answered yes, and many of you are, if you answered yes uh, to any of these questions, then in reality, you're in the minority. Several surveys reveal that 65% of American workers are unhappy with their jobs. Many of them go to work simply because they have no other choice, like that old saying, I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. People don't feel like they have a choice, and, and if you were to ask some of them who completed that survey, they would probably tell you that they're unhappy with what they do because it's the same old routine day after day, and their life seems to be a meaningless merry-go-round with no purpose in it. Now, I'm going to date myself really bad. I said, I think in the first service, I said, I think if, if you're under 30, you probably, maybe under 40, you probably wouldn't know who this person is, but there was a country singer by the name of Tennessee Ernie Ford. Uh, some, see, some of you in here, you're like me. He used to sing a song that contained a line that said, you load 16 tons, and what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt. Now, that's how, a lot of, that's how many people feel about their job. It's just this mundane, it's not, there's no life in it. But this morning, I want to propose to you, and I want to share with you what I believe will help you and I see, begin to see our work as an exciting opportunity to serve God. Our labor to be an exciting opportunity to serve God. The Bible talks a lot about work. The Bible talks has many passages in Scripture in there. Paul in one place says, if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. In another place it talks about the fruit of our labor. It talks about the, being able to produce with our hands things that, that mean something. You know, when you work for something, it means a whole lot more to you than if it's just given to you. And by the sweat of your brow, the scriptures tell us that Adam was told that he would, he would toil and the ground wouldn't produce much. But prior to the fall, God still had instructions for Adam and Eve to tend the garden, to work, to, to, to watch what God did in the, all of the garden and participate and be a part in it. God's plan has always been for us to participate with him in work. That's why Jesus told his disciples and his followers and told us, he said, don't pray that the harvest would increase. The harvest is already ripe. Pray that the Lord of the harvest will thrust forth laborers into the harvest so that there will be a great reaping of that harvest. So there is work for us to do, church. And in honor of Labor Day, I want to give you some things from Scripture today that I think can help all of us no matter what your job is, can help all of us realize that everything we do should be, can be done unto the Lord. Done with a sense of purpose. Done with a sense of excitement. Some of you might be like, you don't know my job. Well, let's just, just hang with me, okay? One of the problems in life, and this is from your notes, is that we have a tendency to divide everything into two categories. A secular category and a sacred category. We sometimes look at our lives and we think, well, you know, I have my sacred category of things. That's my church and my church friends, and that's my worship music that I listen in the morning. Uh, but then I have my, my secular category of life. That's my job. That's those people that, I, that I'm acquaintances with and I'm associated with that don't know Jesus and, you know, are really kind of heathens and pagans. And, and you know, in and, and, and actuality, what Scripture tells us is because of what Jesus did on the cross and when he breathed his last breath and said, it is finished, God ripped toward the, the veil 
veil from the top to the bottom and said there's no longer a separation. There's no longer a sacred and a secular. Because even in the Old Testament, you can see a picture of the secular and the sacred. In the Old Testament, when God gave Moses instructions to build the tabernacle and how to carry out all the functions in the tabernacle, there were people whose jobs, they were the priests. And they had specific jobs that nobody else could do. The priests in the Old Testament were the ones that offered the sacrifices. The people would bring the sacrifices, but they gave them to the priests. And the priests would then offer that particular animal or grain or crop, whatever it was, to the Lord. They would offer the sacrifices. The priests would be the one that would go before God and make petition. But the people, all they, would, all they needed to do during that time in the history of God's people, as, as Pastor Kirsten preached several uh, Sunday nights ago, all they had to do was listen for the trumpet. If you remember that message he preached, listen for the sound of the trumpet to know where they were supposed to go and what they were supposed to do. It was the priests that carried the Ark of the Covenant. In case you don't know what the Ark of the Covenant is, or you think it's simply limited to what was presented in that wonderful movie, the Raiders, Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, the Ark of the Covenant is not in a, in a wooden box in a warehouse in New York somewhere. Okay, The Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament was the, the symbol of the manifest presence of God. Now, we say and we believe in Scripture teaches that God is omnipresent, meaning he's present everywhere, all at once, all at the same time. So that means that people that are walking down the street, driving in their cars, sitting at their home, at the lake, in church this morning, whatever they're doing, people that don't know Jesus, they're still in the omnipresence of God. But there are specific times, there are specific places that the manifest presence of God shows up, like right here, right now, this morning. God's presence is here, and God's manifest presence will reside in you and I, in the person of the Holy Spirit. And as we've been working on the, on the property, I will tell you, the manifest presence of God resides on that property. One of the reasons why is it's been dedicated to the Lord. I love, uh, I shared again, most of what I'm sharing now, I shared in the first service. Brother Wally was here and I complimented him again on his rules and his standards for the property, for people to come on there and work. Uh, construction workers, steel workers, uh, uh, concrete workers, truck drivers, when they come on the property, there's no, no foul language allowed, no bad attitudes allowed, no anger, no discourse, because that place has been dedicated to the Lord. And you know what? Nobody's, nobody's pushed against that. Nobody said, well, what do you mean I can't cuss when I come up? They, they honor that because that place has been dedicated and committed to bringing the glory of the Lord. And I have, been, I have witnessed to it every, every one of those feet of pecs tubing because somehow I was designated as one of the ones that could figure out and could read the, the schematics to know how to lay the pecs. I, I know all kinds of stuff about pecs tubing right now that I didn't know before I started doing that. You know, PEX 101, it was a crash course. Brother Mitch was, here in the, uh, Mitch was here in the first service. He was a great teacher, but it's like you read the schematic, you start here. You've got you've to keep track of the numbers because the tubing has every five feet has a number. And you've got to, you, because you've got to do a loop. It's a, each, each part you lay, you start here and you, you lay it out according thing and it's got to come back in loop. And it's got to be within a certain number of feet because each area of the building has zones. And they have controls and there's all kind of, I mean, you're just learning all this stuff and, and we'd be laying some pecs and stapling it to the stuff, and somebody would say, what's the numbers? And we'd be like, um, did you check what the starting number was? No, I thought you did it. Okay, and then we'd have to walk all the way back over, see what the first number was. And then you got to, by the time, I mean, I mean, eight hours of this, your brain is mush because you, you're trying to figure 330 feet, which is not too bad if you started at 100 because, you know, you know, 100, 200, 300, but, but when it's, you know, 085, and then you got to add 330 to that, and, and you're like, Wait, is it five? Is it six? You know, and it's just like, Jesus, help us. And 
and brother, <laughs> brother Scott Choir and I, I, I began, Minister Micah was the same way. He learned and he was leading teams and we had teams doing it. We were doing different areas and Scott, Brother Scott Choir and I were, were trying to finish up the last area that we had and we were down to the very last one and I, I'm just being honest, I figured it wrong. I said, well, we got about a 200-foot run here um, because it's okay to do 200, but not on every one of them. And I looked at our roll, and I thought, oh, there's 200 there. So we staple the whole thing down, and I'm looking, and I'm like, we're short, and you can't splice pecs. You don't want to splice pecs because if it's, it's water, it's under the concrete. Once you lay the slab, if you got a leak, you got a problem. So it's like, okay, so we had to pull all that up that we did, that 150 feet, because we needed 200 feet, that complex. But I'm saying, I'm, I'm laboring the point to say this. As we were laying it, I'm sensing the presence of God. I'm sensing the presence of God as we're walking over that styrofoam that we laid first. I'm sensing the presence of God as I look at each one of the corners and the concrete guys are setting up the forms for the concrete to be poured. It's, it's the presence of God is there. And in the Old Testament, the priests were the ones that carried the Ark of the Covenant. When it was time to move, the priests put uh, poles through the sides of the Ark, put it on their shoulders, and they carried the presence of God to the next place. Well, guess what the New Testament says? Because we see a different picture in the New Testament. And in fact, this is in your notes as well. The New Testament teaches us that we're all priests. We're all priests before God. It teaches us that our body is now the temple, the dwelling place for the manifest presence of God. That God's Holy Spirit lives in us and that every day of our lives is holy unto the Lord. So in the New Testament, we don't see this, this separation of secular and, and sacred anymore. We see that wherever we go, we're carrying the presence of the Lord. Every place that we walk into, because we're full of the Spirit, because we're prayed up, because our prayer life is what it should be, because we've spent time in the Word, we've been before the Lord. Every place that we walk into, we carry the presence of the Lord. And when we carry the presence of the Lord, we impact and affect change in those places we go into. So why shouldn't we apply that to our job site, to our workplace, no matter what it is? Well, I'm going to encourage you this morning that we can do that, that we can apply that. The New Testament tells us that we take God with us wherever we go and that he is a part, can be and should be a part of everything we do. So with that in mind, uh, this morning I want you to see three things, and this is on your notes as well. I want you to see three things this morning in relation to work and labor. Number one, I want you to see your everyday work as a service for God. Begin to view your everyday work as a service for God. Do you realize that almost everything we do affects someone else? We have food because the farmers, there are farmers who planted the crop or raised the cattle. We are the beneficiaries of their labor. Even Jesus spent the first 30 years of his life growing up in the home of a carpenter, his earthly father Joseph, learning how to be a carpenter learning how to do things, how to work with his hands and assist his father. How do we know that? Because Jewish tradition says that's what a good Jewish boy would do. He would be, whatever home he's raised in, whatever trade his father did, he would learn that trade. Now, if, if there was a special calling on his life or he had special giftings that seemed like he might become a rabbi or a teacher, that could happen and there was a process for that. But if those people weren't chosen to be a rabbi, if you were a Jewish young man and you weren't chosen to be a rabbi or a teacher, you were told, go back home and continue the trade of your father. So Jesus raised, was raised by Joseph and Mary, son of God, 
Jesus the Messiah, God in the flesh, yes. But he honored his, his earthly father in helping and assisting him with what he did. Why? Because people needed things for their houses. They needed houses to be built. They needed wooden yoke for their oxen. They needed chairs to sit on. They needed somebody to be a carpenter. And we, and we see that by, by working. And so understand this morning what we say and what we do, it's very important. It makes a difference because others are affected, good or bad, by what we say and by what we do. And I'm convinced that what, that's what Paul meant when he wrote in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He says, therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual service or your worship. That's what we're supposed to do. We offer ourselves to God. We start each day, not, Lord God, help me to just endure this day. I've long said God doesn't intend for you and I to just survive. God intends for you and I to thrive. God intends for you and I to be blessed. His word declares we are the head and not the tail. We are the top and not the bottom. That we can choose the blessings of God and walk according to his word in obedience, being blessed by God. And Paul is reminding us of that. Man, it's your reasonable service. It's your reasonable work. It's your reasonable worship to present yourself to God and say, use me. Let me be a living sacrifice. And see, the thing about a living sacrifice, most of the time when you think of sacrifice, you know, it's sacrificed one time because then it's killed. But Paul says be a living sacrifice. That means we present ourselves to be living and live for God as a sacrifice so that the next day we can get right back on that altar and sacrifice that altar of self and sacrifice our, ourselves to the Lord to be a living sacrifice to him in all that we do. Amen? All right. So we can serve God in the way we work and where we work Every day, and that's the second point. You can serve God where you work. If you will view your everyday job as service unto God, then understand you can serve God where you work. Now, I know some might be thinking and they might say, you don't know where I work. You don't know my boss. You've never met that particular individual. You don't know the kind of people that I have to work with. You don't know the power struggles that go on. You don't know the flirtations that take place. You don't know the cursing that is just dropped all over the place. You don't know the dirty stories that are told, the pornography that's passed around. Well, maybe I don't know, but let me share something with you from Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. I think it's a very appropriate text and passage to, to combat that kind of thinking. Now, when Paul wrote this, he wrote it using the word slaves, addressing slaves. And I, I can't think of a, a closer word or a better word for us today to, to substitute than workers. So in this passage, substitute where it says slaves, substitute the word workers, and let's see what God has to say. Workers, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is upon you, but like workers for Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. See, it doesn't matter what circumstance or situation. It doesn't matter the environment that you have, that you find yourself working in. If you go there with the mindset, I'm doing this for the Lord. That's what the Bible says. It says, it says a couple things. Whatever, you find, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. And do it unto the Lord. Work unto the Lord. Let everything that you do be done unto the Lord. If we, can, if we can change our mindset as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ that's out in the marketplace, that's out in, to be influencers, to be salt and light in the world, and we can change our mindset to begin to realize that I'm doing this not for that boss and not even for the paycheck. The paycheck is a, is a reward for my work. 
but I'm doing it as honor unto God. I'm doing that when I'm doing it then when I stand before God and, and I give an account for my life. He says, You were a good and faithful servant on your job. You worked for that boss who didn't treat you right. You worked for that company that didn't necessarily honor you or even know who you were or promote you like you should be promoted, like you thought you should be promoted. You worked there for me as unto me. And because of that, eternity will show us the fruit of that. There will be people in heaven that we didn't even know, knew, any, found out about Jesus, but they saw us work it out, live out the life before them as good stewards, as good workers, because we realize that we can do that. What he's saying here, what Paul is saying here is even though your boss is a two-legged monster who is about as pagan or heathen as, they, as anyone you've ever seen, do your work for that boss as though you're doing it for Christ. Now again, you might say, you don't know my boss though. Or if you did, you'd never suggest that. I work in a heathen office in a, for a pagan heathen company and there's no way that Christian principles will ever change that. Well, I want to take you to a, a story in the Old Testament that many of us are familiar with if you've been in children's church or Sunday school. And it's the story of Daniel. Daniel was carried away to captivity and carried away to captivity to Babylon, taken from Jerusalem, where in Jerusalem he was surrounded by people, at least a remnant of people who believed God. Jeremiah had been prophesying to the nation of Israel, you need, you, you've, you've been given opportunity to repent, you haven't repented, so guess what? Persecution is coming, you're going to be taken into exile, but God will be with you, there'll be a remnant. Daniel was in Jerusalem, surrounded by friends and people who believed in God, who worshipped God, who followed the, the laws of Moses, but now he's actually in a totally pagan, heathen environment in Babylon. As time passed, King Nebuchadnezzar appointed him as a government official. He became a government bureaucrat because of his work ethic, because of this principle of working unto God, of doing everything he did with all his might unto God. And as Daniel worked in his government office, sitting behind the government desk, doing all his duties as a government bureaucrat, he was able to serve God. And King Nebuchadnezzar respected Daniel and his faithfulness to God as Daniel rose higher and higher among the leaders of this heathen, pagan, not God-honoring country that he found himself in. But when King Nebuchadnezzar died, the Babylonian Empire began to, to disintegrate, and finally it was conquered by the Persians and King Darius. Once again, Daniel's outstanding qualities were recognized by another pagan king. And he was soon appointed as one of the highest officials in all the land. But there came a time when pressures were put on him to do things that were against God. And so Daniel said, you know, that, that's enough. I can't do that. That's as far as I go. I, I, I'm going to pray. I know there's a decree from you, King Darius, to not pray to any god but you, not to pray to anybody but you, king. And, and Daniel didn't broadcast that he was going to rebel. He just kept doing what was right. He just kept doing every morning, praying to God, praying before and serving his God. Uh, and, and, and even though King Darius had become Daniel's friend, he couldn't go back on his law. And so Daniel was, what was carried out uh, with Daniel's life was what was decreed, that if anybody prays to any other god but you, King Darius, they'll be thrown into the lion's den. And you know the story. Daniel was thrown in the lion's den. God shut the mouths of the lions. Daniel was unharmed. And the next morning, Darius came rushing to the mouth of the lion's den, expecting to find the leftover bones of Daniel. And listen to in the sixth chapter of Daniel, verse 20, what Darius says. It says, when he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Interesting. 
Here's a heathen, pagan, not God-honoring, not God-serving king who recognizes and saw that Daniel working in this pagan environment, working in this pagan office, the one thing Darius knew about Daniel was that Daniel served God continuously. Do your fellow co-workers, do the people you rub shoulders with, do they know that about you and I? Do we try to serve God continually in an environment of our work that is less than conducive for that? Have we seen ourselves, do we view ourselves as the walking temple of God, the housing, the dwelling place of the presence of God? Or do we say, oh, that's just for Sundays or Wednesday nights? Questions to consider. Are you and I able to put God first where we work so that our fellow workers know that we are trying to serve God with all we've got? And again, some may offer up the argument and say, well, Daniel was extraordinary. I'm just an ordinary person. Guess what? If you're an ordinary person, thank the Lord for that. He made more ordinary people than he did anybody else. He doesn't make a whole lot of geniuses. He didn't make a lot of five-talent people, but he made a, a whole lot of ordinary people. And you know what? God delights in taking ordinary people and infusing them with extraordinary power. And when an ordinary person goes to an ordinary workplace determined to be faithful to God, God can do extraordinary things in the hearts and lives of that person and that place can be influenced and impacted and God is always glorified when that happens. So begin to view your everyday job as a way to serve God and begin to realize you really can serve God where you are because number three this morning, we are all ministers. We are all ministers. I've had people say, you know, they find out you're a pastor, you're a preacher, uh, and, and I had a commercial I was going to give, maybe I'll do it at the end because I wanted to remind you guys of some things, so I'm going to keep going in the flow of this, but I've had people say, I wish I could have a cushy job like that, you know, work one day a week. Can I tell you, if you're working for the Lord and you're working in the ministry, it's hard work, but I will also tell you that, that in years and years and years of ministry, pastoring uh, and, and, and serving churches, many times in most places I was bivocational which meant I, I served as pastor, Jan and, I, Jan and I served as pastors, but I worked 40, 50, 60 hours during the week, um, as well as preaching on, on Sundays and Wednesdays. I know what it's like to punch a time clock. I know what it's like to have a boss breathing down your neck. I know what it's like to have deadlines and expectations from people who don't care about God, don't care about what you're doing on the side. When, when we were in Bible college, Jan and I got married while we were in Bible college, and when we first got married, I worked for a wholesale food distributing company in Springfield, Missouri. The particular area that I worked in had to deal with, it was, it was a place that dealt in wholesale frozen food and wholesale selling to grocery stores fresh chickens. So if you've ever worked in a place in a factory that, that, that processes chickens, it's nasty. It's bloody. You pack them, once you process them and they're all, you pack them in ice and you put them on pallets and you move the pallets around the cooler and when the trucks come, you load the truck. So, so I mean, you're covered in stuff. And, and the particular church that we were at, I had an opportunity to preach a, a Wednesday night uh, youth service. And I was excited because that was a big deal. We were still in Bible college. You know, I was still waiting till when we arrived, when yet actually God wanted to use us right where we were, and he was. So I went to my, and I thought, well, I got to work Wednesday, and I don't normally get off in time to be there right when service starts. So I'll go to my boss and talk to him. Now, the particular owners of this company were two brothers. And one was worse than the other, but they didn't honor God. They hired a lot of people from the Bible college because I guess we were good workers because we should have been. 
And that's the point I'll get to in a minute. But I went to him and I said, you know, here's the opportunity. He said, you're scheduled and you're scheduled your normal shift and you're not getting off any earlier. And I'm like, his name was David. I'm like, David, come on. This is a great opportunity. He said, I don't care about your opportunity. I care about production. I care about what you produce here. And I said, okay. So I went to work. And, and all I told uh, the other people is I said, I'll do my best to get there as quick as I can. And he knew I wanted to leave. And, man, I was busting it. I mean, I was, man, I was flying all over the cooler with that, uh, with that um, forklift, moving stuff and packing stuff and getting the ice. I was sweating and I was covered to head to toe because I was like, man, if I can get my job done, if I can get everything finished and meet the quota, surely he'll let me go. Do you know for spite that he waited until the very last second of how long it would, I would need to be able to get home, get a shower change, and get to church? And then he finally said, you can go. But I never complained. I never whined. And I'm not trying to brag on myself because there's been times I've complained. And there's been times I've whined. And there's been times I haven't been the greatest example. But I remember in this one, I was like, you know, Lord, you've blessed me with a job. Jan and I were newly married in Bible college. You've blessed me with this job. I'm going to be honorable, and I'm going to leave that up to you. And I got there, and we had a great service. I, 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 had, I had time. I rushed, but I had time. We had a great service. And I say that to say this. We're all ministers no matter what we do, no matter what our job is. And I understand the pressures of, that you may face because you might feel like you're in a secular job, and you sure wish you could be in a sacred job. Can I tell you, begin to change and shift your thinking to approach that where you are is sacred, and because you're there, that place is blessed, has the opportunity to be blessed, People's lives have the opportunity to be turned upside down. See, I want you to understand that I am no more a servant of God because I'm a pastor or reverend now than I was then. And I am no more a servant of God than you are when we give our lives and surrender our lives to the Lord. The Bible teaches that all of us are ministers no matter what our job description is or our workplace might be. If you're a Christian, you're a minister of God. Now, God may call you out of that particular mission field. He may call you to a mission field. He may call you to a preaching ministry or whatever. And if he does, you need to respond to that call. But you will be no more of his servant of his then than you are right now. Your ministry is now, wherever you are. That's the sphere of your ministry. Now, you might say, well, I'm a victim of circumstances. I have this job because I couldn't get the one I really wanted. I have to make a living, so here I am, and I hate every minute of it. Let me take you back to Daniel. Daniel was a victim of circumstances, too. Let me ask a question. Why was Daniel in Babylon? Now, most people will say, well, the answer to that is because the Babylonian army came in and invaded Israel and took, Babylon, uh, took, took them to Babylon. But notice in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7. Jeremiah was the weeping prophet, and he came on the scene to, to, to weep before Israel and say, you've been sinning and you haven't heard the voice of God, you haven't listened to the other prophets, so I'm here to be the prophet of doom. You're going to be taken into captivity. God's not changing his mind. You're going into exile. And listen to what he said in Jeremiah 29, 7. God says through Jeremiah, I have carried you into exile. I have carried you from Jerusalem to Babylon. 
So Daniel was a victim of circumstances, but it was circumstances that God was setting up. You might be like, this isn't the job I really wanted. I really wanted that job, and now I have to go and do this, and I hate every moment of it. And if you do, you're shortchanging the possibility that God arranged those circumstances because there's a specific thing that only you can do at that specific job in this specific time. Esther's another example of it. The Bible says that, that Esther's uncle says, who knows that God has not raised you up and appointed you for such a time as this. Don't view this. Don't look at this because, uh, you know, it's I, God, I tried and you just didn't come through. Rather, look at it as, God, I, I, I thought it was this, but I know that we may make plans, but you order my steps according to your word. And because you order my steps, I'm going to be faithful right where I am. And if I can be faithful right where I am and begin to see things through your eyes and begin to see my workplace as my mission field and not worry about the circumstances, but be faithful in what I do and shine the light of Jesus and reflect the love of Jesus, I might just begin to see miracles take place. But if we operate, hallelujah, if we operate from the standpoint, I'm a victim of circumstances, and I can't wait for God to get me out of this. Well, that may be why he's not getting you out of it. We don't need to, we don't need to pray, God, send me to the mission field. God, send me to some great place where hundreds of thousands of people will flock to hear me preach the gospel. When we're not willing to preach the gospel through our lives that we live and the reflection of Jesus that's on our lives to the people next door to us. Now, if you're feeling conviction this morning, here's a commercial. If you're feeling conviction this morning, please understand it's not from Pastor Barry. It's from the Holy Spirit. And the advice I would give to you is listen to what the Holy Spirit has to say. Let's continue on. Here's Daniel in a pagan heathen place surrounded by pagan people. But the Bible says that's exactly where God wanted and needed him to be. We've heard that old adage that says one bad apple can spoil the whole barrel. And we've heard it so long that we think that the bad always wins and that good never does. But the Bible teaches something opposite. The Bible says that we can overcome evil with good. If you're in a secular workplace, don't think of it as secular anymore. If you're working next to that heathen person, don't view them as that heathen person that I wish they would just go somewhere else. View, them as, view that as this is a God-given opportunity to influence that place and that person next to you for good and build the kingdom. That's why I call this message working for a greater kingdom. It's real easy to get caught up in working for man's kingdom, building our own kingdom, working for the dollar. Look, we got to have money. But God intends to bless you and I when money doesn't become our idol. When money is not our idol, when position is not our idol, when recognition of man is not what we're going after, and we make it, we make it God's kingdom, and him, and him alone, God will bless, God will promote, God will pour out all that he has for us. Thank you. The person, that person that you work with every day, who's... who's face you see, whose voice you've heard, who's shared their hopes and dreams with you, who's told you about the new car that they just bought and is worried about the payments, that told you about their kids and their family. Doesn't it make sense that the per that is the person that God would want you to influence because you're building relationship and you're making connection? That's called lifestyle evangelism. When you go to work and you see that place and those people there is your God-given opportunity to serve God and to advance the kingdom because you make a difference. 
So let me give you four suggestions. These are in your notes. Four suggestions for witnessing for Christ effectively. Now, these aren't original, meaning I didn't come up with them. I found them, and they were so good, I thought, man, that's good. Uh, so I want to share that, and it, it, it fit. Four things. First of all, they're all don'ts, because and then I'll give you what we should do. First of all, don't brag, and we'll qualify that on yourself. Don't go to work and brag about how wonderful a Christian you are. Don't brag about how righteous you are and how much sin you've overcome and how you used to drink and carouse and be unfaithful, but now you're a model husband or wife and you don't drink anymore. Don't brag because that will only turn people off. And you know, Jesus talked about a group of people like that. He tells us in the Gospels that when you pray, don't be like the Pharisees, the religious people who are like, they're like whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. They're like snakes in the grass that stand on the street corner and raise their hands and say, oh God, I'm so thankful that I am not like that sinner next to me. I am so thankful that I am so righteous. I am so thankful that I am so holy. I am so thankful that I am sinless. Jesus said, don't be like those people. So if we're going to effectively witness on the job place, if you want to brag, brag about God. Don't brag about you. Brag about the Lord. If somebody says, you know, what's going on in your life? Man, it's Jesus. What does that mean? Well, let me tell you. And then you talk about him. Because the word of God tells us if he's lifted up, he'll draw all people, all men to him. But if we lift ourselves up, that's called pride. And the Bible says pride comes before a fall. So don't brag. Self-righteousness has always been repulsive. It simply won't work. So that's the first one, don't brag. Secondly, don't nag. N-A-G, don't nag. Don't carry a big Bible under your arm, and every time somebody cusses, pull it out and find a place, and it says, thou shalt not swear. And every time they, somebody brags about a hangover they've got, uh, don't pull out the Bible and say, look, it says here, all drunkards go to hell. Can I just be honest? Don't do that. But what about people that feel called to stand on the street corner and preach hellfire and brimstone? Listen, hell is a reality, and people need to know that that is the ultimate dwelling place and, and, and eternal place for people who do not surrender their lives to Jesus. We don't need to water that message down. But can I tell you, people are more likely to hear what you and I have to say when we approach it from what Scripture says. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's the love of God that compels us. It's, and, and, and in the midst of that, if they begin to ask why, well, what's, what's going to happen if I don't. Then you can begin to tell them about hell. You can begin to tell them about the reality of what eternity without God will be like. But don't nag. Don't I, I preached to the young people um, from, from the Sermon on the Mount, uh, the last service we had in the tent. Uh, Minister David wasn't able to be there, so he asked me to preach. I preached to the young people. And, and Jesus said, you're the light of the world. He said, you're the salt of the earth. He didn't ask, do you want to be the light of the world or do you want to be the salt of the earth? He said, if you're following me, guess what? You are the light of the world. So I told the young people, you got to determine what kind of light you're going to be. Are you going to be a light that offends and, put, and, and puts people off? Because all you ever do is you're a stoplight and all you ever do is tell them stop, 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 stop sinning, stop cussing, stop lying, stop cheating, stop, stop, stop. And you never tell them what to do. And yet that's how some people approach Christianity. I'm just a stoplight for the Lord. Well, guess what? If you don't tell people what to do after they stop, the Bible talks about in Matthew that there was a man who was possessed of a demon. And when that demon was cast out, it says the man cleaned his house, swept his house, got it all neat. But because he didn't fill his house with something else, that demon went wandering through the wilderness and found seven more just like him and came back and re-inhabited that man's house. And it says the man was worse off then than he was before. 
So don't nag people with the gospel. Love people with the gospel. An author that I, I really like, his name is Brennan Manning. If you have an opportunity to read some of his books, you should. In one of his books, he says, so many times we pray to God and we say, God, what do you want us to do? We're the church, we're your disciples, we're your followers. What is it you want us to do? When we miss the whole point that Jesus has been telling us in Holy Scripture what he wants us to do. Love one another. Oh, I get that, God, but what do you really want me to do? No, 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 you don't get it. Love one another. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. John tells us in 1 John, how can you say you love God whom you have not seen when you hate your brother whom you do see? If we say that we love God but we do not love those around us, we are a liar and the truth is not in us, Scripture says. So I think it's pretty simple we understand what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to love people into the kingdom. We don't love sin. We don't love what sin does to people. We don't love people enough to let them stay in their sin. We love them enough to tell them there is a Savior. His name is Jesus. He died on the cross for you. He gave his life so that you could have life. He came and he walked among us and he showed us what the being a part of the kingdom was like. And when they didn't believe him, he didn't, he didn't call down fire from heaven. He didn't call angels to come and rescue him. He carried out his father's plan, which was to sacrifice himself for you and I so that he could take our sin upon himself so that we we could be forgiven of our sin and cleansed from all unrighteousness. Glory to God. And we love people in the kingdom that way. All right, let's keep going. Whew. So don't brag, don't nag. Number three, don't lag, L-A-G. As a Christian, it's important for you and I to do our work and do it well. To set an example for others. Christians who are full of the Holy Spirit should be the ones getting the promotion. Not, not because they're, 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 I won't use the term that most of us could probably think of, not because they're trying to gain favor by doing certain things, but because they work the hardest and they're the best workers. They show up on time or maybe even a little early. What a concept. They do their job to completion, and if they have time, maybe they help out somebody who, who's working and is a little bit behind to get the job done. Don't lag in what you do if you want to witness to, to your, and, and treat your mission field as that place where you can make a difference. Man, be the very best, because the very best resides in you. The power and presence of the Holy Spirit. The Bible talks a lot about being lazy and slothful and how it's not a good thing. Read Proverbs. Read what Proverbs has to say about those that are lazy and slothful and the rewards that they get. And if we're lazy and if we're slothful on the job, church, that's a poor testimony to the Lord and for the Lord. So you and I should do our job and do it well as if we're doing it to Christ. And fourthly, don't sag, S-A-G. Be really careful not to go back to your old way of life. Be really careful not to listen to their language and start to use it for yourself. Be really careful not to see the bright lights of a far country and be enticed like the prodigal son was. Who couldn't wait to get out there and experience all that. Don't be like that. Make sure that you and I keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Because if we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, if we, if we are different in how we talk to them, if we react differently than they do to situations and problems and difficulties that come up, sooner or later they're going to come up to us and say, I noticed you handled that differently. I noticed you didn't respond like I would have responded or normal people would have responded. They might even say something like, is there something wrong with you? But that's an opportunity for then you can take it to the next level because you didn't, you didn't let your testimony lag or sag, either one. 
And you know what? They will do that. They will come to you and I. Why? Because they're hurting on inside. They're looking for answers and solutions. And if you and I can mirror Christ, see, that's what I told the, the young people. I said the best mirror we can be is the mirror light of reflection. If you don't understand what I mean by that, uh, most cars now have LED lights, but a few years back they started making car headlight assemblies that had a really small bulb, bulb with a whole lot of reflective material. And the bulb didn't actually shine out, it shined back on the reflective material. And when it shined on the reflective material, it increased the luminescence of the headlights. You ever seen those big, uh, those big spotlights that fly through the sky? Take a look at them. It's a big round thing full of reflective material in one bulb. And the point of that is if we can be the refle re have the reflective light of mirrors in, our, in serving Jesus, then that means our life, our focus, our attention is on Jesus and Jesus only. And our lives are mirrors so that what we see and behold, we reflect back to those around us. And when we're willing to take it serious that we can treat every, every day as service to God, that we're all ministers unto the Lord, that that place we work really is, maybe it really is the place, not maybe, it really is the place that God has us if we're serving him. Now, if God told you to do something and you went the other direction, like Jonah, good luck. Because you might find yourself swallowed up by something. But if we're walking and serving God, where we are is where we're supposed to be. There are no mistakes with God. Nothing catches God off guard. God doesn't sit up in heaven and go, I didn't see that coming. I wonder what I'm going to do now. No, he, he's already been to the end of our life and back. He's been to the end of our days and back. In fact, he's written in his, the Bible says in Psalms 119, that recorded in heaven in books are every day of our life before we've ever lived them. Does that mean God's got it predestined, I don't have a choice? No, it means you better choose to line up with him and follow what he has to say in order to have the best and blessed and most profitable life on this earth in preparation for going to heaven. Amen. All right, so let's land the plane. <laughs> Back in chapter 29 of Jeremiah, God gave instructions to the children of Israel as to how they should behave in the pagan environment of living in Babylon when they were taken from Jerusalem and taken to Babylon. He said in Jeremiah 29, beginning in verse 5, this is what God says. He says, I want you to build houses and settle down. I want you to plant gardens and eat what, that, what you produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there and do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you off to into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you will prosper also. Did you know that was in the Bible? Did you know that was God's plan? God's plan wasn't for the nation of Israel carried off in exile uh, and, and now living someplace they didn't want to be, realizing it was too late, that, that this was the, the, they were reaping what they had sowed. They had sowed disobedience after disobedience after disobedience and ignored warning after warning from prophet after prophet. So now they're reaping what they sowed. And they, God's plan wasn't for them to sit there and go, woe is me. You know, I'll date myself again. A TV show that used to play all the time called Hee Haw. And they had these guys that would lay around and gloom, despair, and agony on me. Deep, dark depression, excessive misery. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. 
gloom, despair, and agony on me. And many times we as believers, unfortunately, because we think we're in circumstances that we're victims of, we sit around and that's exactly what we do. Gloom and despair. God, I can't believe I'm here. God, I can't believe that I'm in this place. Now, again, if you messed up, if you sinned, if you disobeyed, then you're reaping what you sowed. But if you're walking honorably before God, if you're living for Jesus, if you're prayed up and you're staying with your face seeking and looking at him and, he's, and you're in a situation that you're like, man, I didn't think this is what it would be, instead of sitting around gloom and despair, do what God told the nation of Israel. Man, build where you are. Prosper where you are. Work hard where you are. Produce where you are. Increase, don't decrease. Because if we'll do that, we'll begin to affect change in the marketplace. We'll begin to affect change in this world. Not only will it be, well, that's what you do because you're a pastor. That's what you do because you're a preacher. It'll be, man, did you see, I got Christians working for me, and my business is going through the roof. I got believers working for me, and man, it's busting at the seams. But it just is a, it's dependent upon you and I to get this down in our soul and be determined we're going to do this. Those are very practical instructions uh, that Jer God gave through Jeremiah. And you know what? They're the same things for you and I. Conclusion in your notes. They were in exile. I think we're in exile. Because the Bible says this world is not our home. That we are headed for another place. That God is preparing a place for you and I. And this world is not our home. But you know what we're supposed to do? In the meantime, while we're here, let's be here. And while we're being here, let's be the very best for the kingdom of God that we can. Let's stop working for an earthly kingdom. Let's stop making the focus working for what we can gain, what we can amass, the, the, letter, the alphabet letters behind our name. Listen, there's nothing wrong with those. You know, I got some in front, and I'm working on getting some behind because I, I just started my master's program. Pastor Jan and I both did. Just started our master's program. It's tough. I haven't been in school in a long time because I'm old. It's a lot of work. But it's a direction from the Lord because it will open doors. But if my goal is to be able to say, I've got all these characters, and I'm Dr. So-and-so with a master's degree in this and this and that. If that's my goal, guess what? My reward will be that. But if my goal is, God, whatever you've asking me to do, I'm going to do with all my strength. I'm going to do with all my might. I'm not going to be a slacker. I'm not going to be slothful. I'm going to work hard for the kingdom, and I'm going to see the kingdom advance. Then we'll begin to see what God promised we would see. Prosperity, blessing, the kingdom, the kingdom advance. Oh, i got to hurry. While we're here, be here. Do what God says. God is saying to you and I this morning, you be God's person. Be, be different and yet affect change in society. Don't give in to their way of doing things. Daniel didn't. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't. They went as far as they felt like they could go and honor God, and then they said, that's as far as we can go. The three boys said, we're not bowing. Sorry, king. Whatever you may do to us, we're not bowing. We've been faithful and we've worked hard, but that's something we will not do. Daniel said, I'm still going to pray, regardless of the lion's den. There were fiery furnaces, there were lion's dens, but God saw them through all of that. And you and I may face fiery furnaces and lion's dens and storms and problems and issues, but God will see us through just as he did, uh, saw them through it. I get the feeling this morning you're encouraged. 
or it's actually now this afternoon. I get the feeling that you're feeling, you know, encouraged. I can do this. Can I tell you what you're feeling in your heart right now? Don't let it die come Monday or Tuesday morning when the alarm clock goes off. Let it still be burning white hot that when you walk out of your place, your dwelling place, and you get in your car, or you ride your bike, or you get on the bus, or you carpool, or whatever it is, that you're burning white hot with a love and a passion for Jesus and a willingness to see this as my mission field, and I'm going to make a difference because that's what God's called us to do. Brother Toby, if you would. Amen? Stand with us all across this place. I have preached myself happy. <laughs> Amen. Whew. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Thank you for being attentive. I hope the notes helped. Maybe it'll give you something to refer back to. I'll do better on my notes next time. But this morning as we close, if you're here this morning and what I've said, you know, most of what I said applies to Christian believers. Most of what I said applies to people who have surrendered their life to Jesus. And you've been like, yeah, it doesn't really apply to me because I'm not really living for Jesus. You know, I don't know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Or maybe what I said to you triggered something that you're like, man, I've been working for the wrong kingdom. I've been giving my time and energy and effort and gifts for the wrong kingdom. And I need to begin to work, work for the greater kingdom, the kingdom of, of heaven. So I need to rededicate and recommit my life to the Lord. If you're here this morning and you want to get receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior for the first time, you want to rededicate your life because you've drifted and your walk with the Lord is not on fire, it's become lukewarm, or you just want to reaffirm your commitment to the Lord. If you're any one of those three categories, with every head bowed and every eye closed, would you lift your hand across this place so I can pray with you and for you? Any this morning, those of you that are online, you can lift your hand right where you are and know that God sees you. All right, hallelujah, hallelujah. Well, praise God. Amen. Well, everybody put your heads up. We're going to pray a prayer of affirmation together because what I'm getting from all of you, and I believe it with all my heart, is we are a group of believers that love Jesus, and we're now determined we're going to work hard for the greater kingdom to advance the kingdom of God. Amen? So repeat this prayer after me. Repeat this prayer after me. Father God, thank you for saving me. You have forgiven me of my sins, and you are cleansing me from the effects of those sins. So today, I recommit my life to you. Use me as your missionary, as your minister, everywhere I go, so that people can encounter the truth and love of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I love you with all my heart. In your great name, amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap of praise again. Amen.